So forgive me if I am a little weary this morning. From about five o'clock yesterday until just a couple of hours ago, I sat bedside with my friend Ralph and his partner Wing at Memorial Sloan Kettering Hospital on York and 68th. Ralph is a, a dear and a close friend of mine for nearly 30 years, arguably one of the most important people in my adult life. His partner of 16 years, Wing, has become a close friend as well, and I love them both with all my heart. Yesterday midday, Ralph went into septic shock, a type of horrible infection, a powerful infection for anyone, especially somebody with a compromised immunological system as a result of the chemo and the other treatments he has been receiving for multiple conditions, which include lymphoma and leukemia and KS. We almost lost him twice last night as his oxygen level and blood pressure fell to levels requiring heroic measures. The outcome for him is still uncertain. <clears throat> At one point, the prayers we had been saying all along for him to win this fight were the only things left after all that could be done for him had been done for him. These next hours, minutes, hours by minutes, days by hours, the next several of them, if he gets that far, are critical. Unless the antibiotics can fight off the infection, his struggle will likely end days before his 70th birthday. So I ask, your prayers for Ralph and for all who are more reliant on the power of prayer when medicine has done all that it can do. It's like that, you know. We get to a point where all that is sometimes left is prayer. Now, honestly, I don't know if when we finally get there, we get there late or just in time. I don't know if we are always surfing on prayer somewhere on the surface of the deep swells of God's and spirit that never ebb, regardless of our perception or recognition, not in their being present as we see it, but in their being presence, as is the truth. Theologically, sometimes we refer to this as ontological presence. That is being what is. Now this is much different than it is what it is which you may recall I don't like very much. I consider what has become a sort of catch-all first response to almost anything we don't want to or can't deal with 
as something of a resignation to helplessness and fatalism rather than an intentional acknowledgement of the presence in which we be and the power by right of our creation to call upon that presence. Now this may sound like a nuance, but actually for me the difference is huge, life-giving, and filled with the message of the Gospels from top to bottom. In today's reading of John, for example, Jesus embraced the presence of God in ways that drew comparisons to what his teachings in life had to offer as the bread of life. Eat of my body and drink of my blood, and you will know life eternal. Now let's pause for just a second. Jesus was not offering himself up as some cannibalistic ritual. He was being the presence that is. Being the presence that is in an amazing way. And he was simply, metaphorically, stating the obvious. If you hunger for these things eternal, make me and these teachings your main course. As now and then, many could not get beyond the imagery to the meaning, and they left. And Jesus, knowing he was freaking some of them out, turned to his disciples and to the twelve, and he said, well, what about you? Will you leave me as well? Peter, in his inimical way, says, where would we go? We have to come. We have come to believe in you. We know you are the Savior, the Christ. He didn't say, it is what it is, Jesus, see it. Or, it is what it is, Jesus, we're going to stay with you. No. Peter came close to what was going on when he acknowledged Jesus as the presence, presence of all that is. And he said so. He stated that he had come to believe. And so he did. And he stayed. And he made Jesus the main course of his life. John, whose gospel was written somewhere around 50 to 75 years after the death of Jesus and is really a compilation of several different rewritings by several different authors during a period of time when the church was in quite a bit of disorder. The faithful were waiting for the kingdom at hand to suddenly appear, was struggling with somehow helping people to understand that that didn't mean the end of the world was imminent in ways they understood nor that the kingdom of God at hand meant what they thought it did. John, who is known for his high Christology, building and exhorting the image and life of Christ as Christ, and John, who may not have been John, probably wasn't his name, who left no written gospel from what we can tell and whose narratives became part of a canon 400 years later, 
This John, who could have used the example of the people leaving Jesus as examples of separation of the wheat and the chaff, as a sort of explanation of the many who came and the few who stayed, could have been meant that way. But today the thought that occurs to me is that there was a commitment made by the disciples who stayed to allow this man, many thought crazy, a zealot, a street corner subway stubbing, tract spouting, get away from him as quick as you can, evangelist in our day, who could not be denied because of what they had heard, had seen, had felt, and had come to know of him. The presence, the life, the far out analogies and references that made others run, made some many and many, many more believe. I don't think that Jesus can any more be compared to living in our day as we can to living in his. We can draw the analogies and create parallels to our lives and conditions and theirs. And in the end, they are all unperfect. They fall short. None then, now, or since has led to indisputable proof or argument-free positions, which in the end tell us that maybe, in fact, we do share the same thing. As folks flock in all directions, find reason or convictions to leave, wars, rage, economies crumble, pastoral care and compassion seem to be in short supply, and the odds for things getting better seem less and less. As these things mount, and the question is asked, what we share in common with the disciples of Jesus, what could it be? Perhaps our answer is Peter's as well. Where else would we go? When we do that, we set ourselves squarely in the presence. We become part of what is from the creation of the first molecule to the finish of all as we know it and beyond the presence that is in all things and when we do things start to look different as well our roles and our purposes will be more about others and less about ourselves and what is will not be what we shake our heads and accept with resignation. Instead, it will be accepting our role in the enormous mystery of what God is. In all things big and small, right and wrong, in the eternal plan beyond anything we understand. And some of that takes place